Welcome to the official podcast of Oklahoma Next Gen Leaders. This podcast exists to empower the next generation of leaders through intentional mentorship. In this episode, we're going to be hearing from a very special guest, Evangelist Victor Jackson. Now, before we start this episode, please stop whatever you're doing and be sure to subscribe. This way you can stay up to date and see when we're posting new content and be on social media with us. We want you to follow us. That way you know everything that we're doing and you can stay up to date. Now, Victor Jackson is an awesome guy. He's awesome because he has like a 40-inch vertical. He can windmill dunk a basketball. He's in a dynamic preacher, but he's also a family man first. He loves his family. I remember him telling me at camp, I never go anywhere if humanly possible without bringing my wife and my son with me. And I thought that was such a cool thing. Uh, Victor Jackson has preached all over the country. In fact, he's preached all over the world. He has an incredible testimony, and he's done some really cool things. He's preached at North American Youth Congress. He's preached for General Conference. He's preached youth camps all over the country, including Oklahoma Camp. You guys are all well aware of who he is. So without further ado, here's an awesome bit of content from evangelist Victor Jackson. Amen. Brother Jackson, so glad that you can be a part of this next-gen podcast. What do you feel like young leaders need to be right now? I feel like you got to go back to that vision that that young man had of praying, reading his Bible, uh, fasting, and that those were essential elements to the harvest that he saw on the outside pressing in through those uh, windows and uh, clear places. He saw the harvest, so many people wanting to press in. And that brings us back to obedience. Uh, If there's going to be a revival, if there's going to be, if God's going to use us in the capacity we desire to be used in, it's going to go back to the foundational element of obedience. Now, a lot of people hear about prayer, fasting, and the word, and I think we hear it so much that it becomes very uh, monotonous. And when something becomes monotonous, we start trying to do new things to create excitement. Um, and I remember um, I was reading uh, several different books and uh, years ago, several years ago, just going to different books. And God was like, which one of these books taught you how to preach? I said, well, none of them, Lord. He said, well, how'd you learn to preach? I said, well, God, just praying, praying to you, spending time with you. He said, well, stay with the source. And as Charles Spurgeon said, visit many books, but live in the Bible. And he said, you have to go back to the source. And none of those things that you deem as supplements can ever replace the source of spending time with me. And it brought me back to that when we don't, when God convicts us to pray, like many of you have been convicted this week to pray, 
the first thing people do is, you know what, I got to go on Amazon and buy me a book on prayer. God convicts you to fast. You're like, you know what, I need to read a book on fasting. God convicts you to read your Bible. You know what, I need to get a book about how to read my Bible better. God says, and so we replace reading with obedience. We replace obedience with reading, rather. Instead of obeying the action, we rather read about the action. Oh, Lord, I'm in trouble already. Praise God. Instead of doing what he requires us to do, we will read about what he requires us to do. And us reading about it makes us feel like we're doing it. So he convicts you to pray. You get this book on prayer. How's your prayer life doing? Man, I'm in this book on prayer. God's looking at you like. (laughs) He convicts you to fast. How's it going? Reading a book on prayer cannot replace prayer. Reading a book on fasting cannot replace fasting. Reading a book on the word cannot replace reading the word. Because there's only one thing that can transform a life. And that's that threefold cord. It's that prayer fasting, reading the Bible. These are things that are simple, but you know what? They're hard to do. And because it's hard to do, we find easier ways to reach the same results. Am I making sense? Mm -hmm. We find easier ways. Well, if I read this book, you see, they're spending time in prayer, but you see, someone else prayed And I could get the same revelation just by reading it. God's like, no, that's not how you grow. So you can't grow in God on another person's experience with God. It takes your own repeated obedience uh, for there to be uh, any type of growth. So it's about taking time to pray. It's about taking time to, and as you obey, God trusts you with more and more uh, uh, obedience. So no one just gets saved and starts praying eight hours a day. You just don't do that. That's why the Bible says grow in grace. How do you grow in unmerited favor? I'm in trouble. Help me, Lord. Hey, come on, somebody. Where's that distinct amen? There's a distinct amen somewhere in here. <laughs> amen. <laughs> Praise God. How, how do, he said grow in grace. How do you grow in unmerited favor? Man, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> he said we're saved by grace through faith. Grace is God reaching for you. Faith is you reaching for God. So he extends grace, which gives you an opportunity to respond to grace with faith. And when God extends grace, that's why no one will ever be able to brag about how long they pray, how long they fast, how long they study, because it's only grace that allowed you to do that. Amen. So, so here's how you grow in grace. You leave a, you leave an altar call and God says, I want you to start praying to me 15 minutes a day. 
and you start praying 15 minutes a day and God sees, oh, you're doing good. You know what? I'm going to give you the grace to now pray for 30 minutes a day. Then you start doing that for a month. God's like, ooh, that's good. I'm going to give you grace to pray an hour a day. Then you start praying an hour a day. And you have grown in grace. Here it is. Grace grows the more you respond to it. Mm -hmm. So here's what happens. If God says, I want you to pray 15 minutes a day, but you don't respond. And you don't respond for 30 years. When you're after 30 years, you still have 15 minutes of grace hanging over your life. You don't skip that step. Are you hearing me? You don't skip that step. You, you don't grow until you respond to it. So, so some people have this amount of grace hanging over their life that God's waiting to respond to waiting for you to respond to in faith. But when you don't, it just lingers over you for years, for decades. But when you start responding to it, he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And so it's about responding to grace. That's responding in obedience. And let me just say this. I know I'm rambling. Am I helping anybody right now? Amen. Amen. So, so let me show you how God works. You know, the Bible says, when God spoke to Abraham, Genesis 12, 1, the Bible says, now the Lord had said to Abraham, leave your father's house. Now the Lord had said to Abraham, Acts 7, Stephen preaching says that God spoke to Abraham in Mesopotamia to leave his father's house, leave that to follow God. Well, the problem was that Abraham brought his father, brought all of his father's house to the halfway point to Canaan. He brought them to Haran. Well, Abraham's trying to follow the voice of God, but he's not being completely obedient. He's being partially obedient. He's following God, but still holding on to his father's house. So God had to allow his father to die in Haran to push Abraham into obedience. Mm -hmm. Oh, God. God allowed Abraham's dad to die because he needed Abraham's feet to get the moving in obedience. Then sometimes God allows things to happen to us because we're stagnant. And he uses pain as an incentive to obey. Are you getting what I'm saying here? So, so, so now Abraham leaves a part of his father's house in Haran. And he continues his journey where the problem is he doesn't fully obey. He keeps partially obeying because now he still has a lot, which is a part of his father's house. And God said, okay, now I've got to create friction between you and Lot. And the friction is going to lead to a division. And the friction is finally going to push you into obedience. Is that amazing? So, so on that journey of obedience, Abraham is partially obeying, but while he's partially obeying, God is working in Abram and he becomes Abraham. And in Genesis 17, God gives him the covenant of circumcision. See, God worked in Abraham's life in a journey of obedience where before he ever got his promise. 
So many times is the journey of obedience that perfects you where you can handle the promise that God's trying to take you into. Help, help me, Lord. Amen. And so, and so it's an obedience issue. God will make sure that we are dependent enough. He keeps us in a place of dependency. Obedience is saying, God, I trust you. God, I, I, I believe that's where the scripture says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not into thine own understanding. When, when, when it says lean not into thine own understanding, he's not talking, he's not saying that you don't understand it. But like to say, trust in the Lord with all that heart, lean not into thine own understanding. Like we don't understand what's going on. No, you can understand what's going on and come to the correct conclusion. But he's saying, but don't even lean on your correct conclusion. Because God says, I'm bigger than your correct conclusion. And you would rather lean on me than lean on your own understanding. So I think obedience is essential to dependency. It's essential to uh those simplistic steps of prayer, fasting, the word, it can revolutionize the life. The Bible says that, you know, Jonah didn't want to do God's will. God wanted to push Nineveh into repentance. And uh Jonah didn't think Nineveh was worthy to be saved of how destructive, how uh, much paganism, how much idolatry was there. Jonah didn't want to accept the call to preach to those type of people. Uh, it felt like they were a lost cause. And Jonah tried to run from God. And it's like I've told people many times, God has a whale for your will. God has a whale for your will. And he will keep you in the well long enough until his will becomes your will. Jonah went into the well with his will and he came out of the well with God's will. (laughs) How long do you have to stay in the belly of hell before you finally obey? All right. Come on now. So God's like, if you don't. If you don't praise me voluntarily, I'll put you through enough hell where you praise me involuntarily. If you don't, am I preaching already? If you don't pray to me voluntarily, I'll make your life so bad that you have no choice but to cry out to me. So God has a thing where he put Israel in the hedge of thorns, Hosea said. God has a way Mm. of of hedging us mm. to where his will is the only answer Ooh. and anything else is going to lead to destruction. Yeah. Uh, and I, I feel like that Moses and Stephen preaching in Acts 7 that Moses was a man of mighty words and deeds. He was a man of mighty words and deeds in Egypt, the Bible says. And the Bible says that Moses... He spoke well, had incredible strength in Egypt. And that Moses killed that Egyptian. This is Stephen preaching in Acts 7. 
Moses killed that Egyptian, supposing that Israel might understand that by his hands, he was their deliverer, but they understood it not. So Moses killed that Egyptian, supposing that Israel might rally behind him as their deliverer. Moses killed that Egyptian in his own strength, the strength of his gift, the strength of his oratory, the strength of his ability, thinking that he would lead the Israelites to overcome the land of Egypt, him as their head general. And he tried to kill him in his own strength. So God put him in a desert for 40 years and stripped down his oratory, stripped down the hyperbole, the simile, the metaphors, stripped down his oratory, down to a a, a stutter. And God said, I can use you better with your stutter than I could do with your oratory. I can do more with you in your dependency than I can do with your independency. I can do more with your weakness than I can do with your strength. I can bring 10 plagues through your dependency. Come on, somebody. I can bring, I can split the Red Sea with your stutter like I can do with your oratory. With your oratory, you would take credit. Uh, come on. In your ability and your ingenuity and your charisma, you would take credit for what I wanted to do with the Israelites. But I had to bring you into a process where it's only me and you in this process. And you lean on me. And if there's going to be a deliverance, it's going to have to be a God thing. Because in my flesh, there dwells no good thing. But in the wilderness, I learned to trust in him. In the process, I learned that if anything good's going to come out of me, it's not going to be from my background, my ability. It's going to be the power of God working in me. It's going to be the anointing of God working in me. It's going to be the glory of God. And he stripped down his strength. That hyperbole, that simile, the metaphor, the apostrophes, the commas, uh, the rhetoric. God stripped it down to a, 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 a. God says that, and it's that stutter that's going to allow you to depend on me. And every man and woman of God that God desires to use, who will bring you through a process to strip down your strength that you might be useful for his glory. And I feel like it's so essential. It's that process uh, of of obedience that is just so, so great that just prepares for great things. If that answers. Well, absolutely, because many people are going to go through circumstances that are difficult. Yeah. And it's in the wilderness, as you taught uh, and as you spoke of, that what you do in the wilderness is going to determine the power that you come out with. Um, every one of those instances, these great men of God had to go through a breaking process. Yeah. And as a leader of a local organization, a local assembly, um, just a leader in an, any area that you're in, whatever you're involved in, whatever your hand finds to do, uh, if God's going to get glory out of it, it's not going to come through our flesh. Uh, and I want to minister on that point. Jesus for 30 years, he didn't accomplish anything. Didn't open a blinded eye, didn't unstop a deaf ear, didn't die for anybody, didn't do Completely anything. obscure. In obscurity. Yeah. And the father's first words over him was, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hold on. 
hold on, he hadn't accomplished anything. But but you know what Jesus did? He was faithful in the meanwhile. He was faithful when nobody cared. He was committed to growing with no pats on the back. The father said, I'm pleased. And when he said, when the father said, I'm pleased, the Bible says in the next scripture, and immediately the spirit driveth him into the wilderness. What a way for God to show that he's pleased with you. <laughs> to push you, listen, yeah. into a season of loneliness. Mm. I'm going to minister to somebody right here. Yes, sir. <sighs> and you have perceived your loneliness as if God is mad at you. You've perceived your pain as a sign that God is disappointed in you. You've perceived your process as a sign that God doesn't want to use you, but really it's a sign that he has chosen you mm. for this hour to make a difference. Mm. He only brings the chosen into the process. Mm. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased immediately the spirit driveth them into the wilderness. The word wilderness means a wasteland, means loneliness. You feel alone. Sometimes the spirit will drive you into a rough place when he's pleased with you. Sometimes the spirit will drive you into a wilderness of isolation and loneliness, not because he's mad at you, but because he's pleased with you. He's bringing you in there that you might learn a dependency and a trust in him. Because many times when he brings you into that lonely spot, let me minister right now. When you're in that loneliness and you are believing in God, all of a sudden the enemy always comes, mm-hmm. listen, and tries to give you an out. Mm-hmm. In the middle of that wilderness. It's amazing that when you're going through that pain and suffering and you're worshiping God and depending on God, that all of a sudden the enemy will bring a relationship right in that wilderness. An ungodly relationship, a relationship where you know you're settling, but you're lonely. You see, Satan wants to use your wilderness, your process as a place to destroy you when God's trying to use it as a place to develop you. 600,000 people died in the wilderness. They were not meant to die in the wilderness. They were meant to possess the land. But the Bible says that they tempted Christ. It's in the wilderness where God tries your integrity is where he sees what's, what's in your heart, that it would come to the surface. And, and we have to stop interpreting our pain and our process and our wilderness and everything as if we can't be used by God. He's using this as a place to posture us that he, that we might handle what he wants to do in and through us. Wilderness is always before the promise. Am I helping somebody right now? Watch this. Here's how Satan gets you to die in the wilderness. Here it is. Because you've been in the wilderness, you've been close to God, you've been letting him conform you, but right before you embrace the promise, here it is, Satan always puts a temptation right before the promise. Here it is, and it's always the same temptation. If your weakness is, some of y'all, some of the most praying people ever, but man, your one weakness is relationships. 
Satan puts a temptation right before the promise. Listen, and it's in the secret places where no one could see if mm. you're falling into the yeah. into the temptation mm-hmm. or not. You're alone. Yeah. So you don't think anybody's watching. But if you fall into that temptation, whether it be something you watch on a site, whether it be something that you entertain, something that you're sending that's ungodly, if you fall into it, you know what happens? You take another lap. That's it. And you got to go through it again. And then all of a sudden, several months or a few a year later, you come to that same spot and God's saying, Are you gonna hold on to your integrity? Amen. But you know what? Some people slip up again, take another lap. That's it. And that's how you get here it is, and some of you are there in a cycle. You pray through at camp, you backslid all over again a month after camp. Oh God, I'm ministering right now. Every time you pray through, you got camp meeting. Summertime, you're always on fire. Soon as school starts. Come on, somebody. You get sucked in all over again. And we got to pray you through all over again. Come on, Holy Ghost. And how, how long are you going to live in a cycle before you say, I've got to hold on to my integrity even when I don't feel like holding on to it? Satan wants to get you in that cycle and he, start, he starts convincing you, you know, church really doesn't work for you. It works for them, but not, not, not for you. And you get in that cycle and so many years, people live in that cycle. They get married, have kids, and they're still in that cycle. They've been in church 20 years. They're still in that. They never embrace the promise because they never hold on to their integrity. But God wants to see if you hold on your integrity when the enemy tempts you, you're going to be able to embrace the promise and walk in a new dimension with Jesus Christ in a way that you never have before. You know, when you say hang on to your integrity, that's very good because Jesus didn't do anything powerful in the wilderness. Mm -mm. All he did was the right thing. Mm. He did not demonstrate. He didn't cast out devils except at the very end when he said, get out of here, devil, I'm through with you. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. All he did was the right thing. He just kept making the right decision. It wasn't glamorous. Mm. It wasn't changing lives. So powerful. It wasn't changing the world. Wasn't doing anything for anybody. All he was doing was making the right decision when it mattered. When nobody was looking, he kept making the right decision. And some of you feel like you get into that position and you're like, well, it really doesn't matter what decision I make right now. I may as well just do it. I can always do something else later. But the problem is, until you die, you're going to keep cycling. They were dying in the wilderness because it's a type of the carnal flesh having to be stripped away until you got a people that say, we can do whatever God says we can do. And Jesus passed the test. Mm. And the enemy left him for a season. If you're tired of the enemy messing with you, start passing the test and you're going to find yourself walking in power because the next season was a season of power and demonstration. But he understood it's not because of something I've done. It's because of the power of God that's working through me. Yes. And God got all the glory. Mm. 
It's, it's in the wilderness where the enemy tries to shake you. Sure. And, uh, you know, and, and when you're shaken, who you are starts coming out to the surface. You know, you shake a bottle, you know, if that shake, you see something came out just now, praise God. <laughs> when you're, when you're, when you're being shaken by the enemy, that, if bitterness starts coming out in the wilderness, that's not coming from the enemy. It's coming out of your heart. Are you getting it? Are you getting it? So, so, so God will use the, use the wilderness to, to shake you empty. You ever thought you were so spiritual and then you were on the phone and somebody says something you don't, didn't like that all of a sudden it's like, praise the Lord. No, 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 calm down. Ah! And God's like, you thought you were ready for the next level, but that's what I've been trying to deal with right there. Mm. And I allowed the enemy to shake you, to reveal you to you. Because some of us get so self-righteous, we don't think there's nothing wrong with us. So God allowed the enemy to put a touch a pressure point to to, to reveal ourselves to ourselves. So we're not walking in delusion. Um, and so, and so God wants to shake you. So what you are can come out. And so he can put godliness in that place. Um, and so the enemy tried to shake Jesus in the wilderness and who Jesus was, was just came out. Mm -hmm. They shook him and the word came out. Yep. It is written. <laughs> he kept shaking him. It is written. Yeah. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Mm. Shook him again. It is written. See, he thought there would be a flaw that would come out. No flaws. Just the pure, unadulterated word of God came out of Jesus when he was shaken. He tried to shake him again at Gethsemane. Yeah. <laughs> and who he was just came out. He sweated great drops of blood, hemohydrosis, such a place of stress that blood comes out of the sweat glands. He shook him and the blood came out. <laughs> shook him the first time and the word came out, shook him again and the blood came out. No sin could come out of him, only the word and the blood. Amen. I want to reach a place in God that whenever the enemy shakes me, no, no, no evil comes out, just godliness pours out. Just the fruit of the spirit pours out. Come on, gentleness, love, joy, peace, long-suffering. And that's where God wants to get us, and He will do whatever He can to 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 bring us into that spot. Uh, he brings us into a holding pattern. We're just flowing. We're just moving right now. Is this okay? Yes. Amen. Amen. Uh, Brother Burns preached a great message last night about the loaves and fishes. It's very interesting because when Jesus. Uh, broke the bread and fed the 5,000 and, uh, and they took up the fragments. Well, after that incredible miracle, seeing the limitless nature of God, the next scripture states that then he constrained his disciples to get into a ship to go before him onto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. He brought them into a ship where he knew a storm was about to come. 
After seeing God in an unlimited fashion, he constrained them into a limited spot. Yeah. Knowing a storm was about to come. And he placed them in a confinement Mm -hmm. that they might, that their unbelief might come to the surface and that he might reveal himself in that confined place. It was only the chosen that got to go into the confined places. In the confined place where God shakes you, where God molds you, where God gets you prepared, where he gives you revelation, it's a holding pattern. Isn't it amazing? But before we can operate in a limitless nature, it starts with a limited spot where we feel limited, where we feel stuck, where we may feel stagnant. Come on, somebody. But it's in that spot where God is testing us to see how we respond. Will you resort to the flesh or will you resort to the spirit? Will you cleave to your unbelief or will you cleave to faith? Will you cleave to the past or will you cleave to the future? Come on. Will you cleave to what's coming or will you cleave to what is behind you? And it's in that stuck place where he molds us and changes us in an incredible way. Mm -hmm. I I remember whenever uh, God told me to give up uh, my college basketball career and uh, he was like... uh, you're going to preach my gospel to the nations. And literally, you, you know, there's that glimpse that you're talking about. Show me. I'm going to preach the gospel to the nations. I'd never even preached yet. God's telling me to give up an 11-year investment for something I've never experienced. Mm. Wow. Mm. Hey, that, hey that, praise God. That's tough. Amen. Uh, he's asking me to give up 11 years of a, an investment for something, for a vision of me preaching the gospel to all nations. And I'm like, okay, Lord, all right, we'll we'll do that. Uh, Gave it up, and uh, I had to get a job, living paycheck to paycheck, with a car that always broke down, Volkswagen Jetta, oh God. Almost had a nightmare. Almost had a nightmare. <laughs> Living on my own, 19, 20 years old. Um, got my own apartment. Got my own vehicle. You see, when, whenever I obeyed, huh. I was expecting immediate results. All right. After I gave it up, I'm like, okay, uh, ready to preach. Come on, somebody. You know, <laughs> Give me the mic. Hallelujah. I've got a few things to say. Praise God. God was like, uh, you're going to work on a golf course, huh? <laughs> Maintenance, and you're going to wear a sombrero. <laughs> Wearing a sombrero on a golf course. <laughs> We're going and encountering people from my college like, hey, Victor, man, man, weren't you, wasn't LSU? Coming to the practices, they were trying to get you to, they were trying to get you to come. What, what are you doing here? I lost 15 pounds on that golf course. It was so hot in Florida, so humid. I lost 15 pounds. They, I was almost unrecognizable. They're like, bro, wasn't Utah State? Wasn't Missouri University? Wasn't Arkansas? Wasn't all these colleges here to go? What are you doing on a golf course, man? And I was like, well, well, you know. <laughs> you, <laughs> You know, God, 
God's good, you know. <laughs> you know, there, <laughs> hey, 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 there, this guy, they were looking at me. I was like a skeleton. Like, I didn't even look like what I used to look like. And I was like, you know, God's good. God, God has me here. I was so broken. I mean, I was like, you know, would you like a Bible study? And he was like, man. Uh, I'm good. If the gospel did that to you, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I want you. If it stripped you down to nothing, I mean, I don't know. I'm dead serious. I'm dead serious. Uh, and, and it was so, God stripped me down so, so much where no doors were opening. Nothing was happening. And I gave up everything, gave up my friendships. And while I'm there, I'm watching my best friend, Ricardo Ratliff. He was the number one junior college player in the nation. Went on to Missouri University, playing professionally in South Korea. He's playing in the Olympics. Uh, he's bringing South Korea to the Olympics. He's on the Olympic team right now. He uh, He's making uh, over $800,000 a year uh, right now. Uh just even without the stipends and everything. And I'm watching him on ESPN top 10 plays dunking the basketball while I'm on a golf course, lost, lost 15. We were roommates. He got the Holy Ghost and got baptized as well uh, with me. He's gone on with his life and I'm on, I'm on the, I'm on the golf course maintenance in the wilderness battling. And I'm just like looking at him while he's dunking the basketball. And I'm just like, God bless you. <laughs> and God, Broke me down to a place where he said, Victor, now this is, this is, this is where God's going to bring you. I'm telling you. He said, Victor, what if I never do what I said I would do? He said, what if you never touch the mic? What if you never preach? He said, would you still serve me? If I never fulfilled the promise in your life, would you still serve me with joy? And he was checking my motives. Are, are you just doing this because of what I promised you? Or can you give this? Did you give that up for me? I said, God, I never have to touch a mic. I never have to preach. I said, I'm willing to sit, sit on the front pew at church, just teach Bible studies. I said, because Calvary was enough. The very fact that you saved my life from going to hell you don't ever have to do one thing for me. And after he broke me down to that spot, he said, Victor, I'm going to do what I said I would do. I just wanted to make sure that your heart was in the right place. And we have to get to a place in God that we're not serving him Hallelujah. to get something from him. That we're not serving him to get a ministry. That we're not serving him to get a promise. Amen. That we're not serving him to get married. We're not Amen. serving him to get all. We are serving God because we love him. That's it. In Genesis 15, it says, God told Abraham, he said, I am your exceeding great reward. You know what God was telling them? Isaac isn't your reward. Yeah. The promise isn't your reward. Yeah. I'm your reward. And I am greater than Isaac. I am greater than your promise. Yes, Jesus. I am greater than your miracle. Yes, you are. I 
and you're exceeding great reward. That's why when God asked him to give up the promise, Abraham could do it and worship because he said, even though I'm sacrificing the promise, I still got my relationship with the reward. And the rewarder can give me anything that I need anytime that I want. That's why the Levites, the reward, the Levites, God told the Levites, he said, look, Levites, you ministers, look, he told the ministers, for those that want to be a minister, he said, look, you ministers, he said, you're not getting one thing in the promised land. He said, you're not even getting an inheritance. Look what he said, because I, the Lord, am your inheritance. He said, and I'm so great that you don't need anything when you get to the promised land. The reward for ministry is not promotion, is not platforms, is not popularity, it's not power. Th- power, the reward for ministry is you have the opportunity to get God. Amen. Amen. And God is greater than any ministry engagement. Oh, God. God is greater than any relationship that you could ever get into. We have the opportunity to have God. And I'm telling you, if you don't understand that that's all you need, he will bring us to the place where we understand that if all we have is him, that's more than enough to make it through the darkest valley, to survive the greatest mountain, if we have him. And I'm telling you, when you get him, listen, you never peak in your relationship with Jesus Christ. You never peak. You see, the different things I've preached, that was never my aim. My aim has always been God. So even when those, see some people, they want these engagements and they live their whole life to get this engagement. They right when they get the engagement, they feel like they arrived and they peak. And they just go back down. They just go back down. They feel like they arrived. They walk into a level of pride. They feel like they're somebody big. They feel like they're somebody great because that's all they wanted was an engagement. But if your aim is him, even when those engagements come, uh, I'm thankful. Thank God for it. Thank God. But my sole purpose of living is living for God. And I am persuaded. I am going after him. I am pursuing him yes. as the heart panteth after yes. the water brook. So panteth my soul after yes. thee, O God, yes. that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to know God. I'm thankful for every opportunity, but I'm telling you, I have a an opportunity to enter into his presence every day and I want to discover something new in him that I've never seen before and that's what gets me up in the morning not an engagement not an opportunity not money nothing nothing like no filthy lucre I just want to know God I just want to get a hold of God and I want to see him be made known in his people in a way that we've never seen him before God wants to strip us down to a place where we say God I just want you more than any Anything, and I'm willing to go through whatever I have to go through to get God in my life in a way that I've never had him before. Can you just lift up your hands where you are right now and just make that your declaration? I want God more than anything. Yes. Come on, open up your mouth right now. Yes. Jesus, I want you. Jesus, I want you more than anything. Jesus, I want you more than anything.
Mm. Let me tell you, let me tell you something for a moment. I feel this direction strongly in my spirit. The Lord's asking you a question this morning. What is your Isaac? Is it a relationship? Is it a ministry? Is it education? Is it a business? Whatever your Isaac is, God is asking you to put it on the altar. Whatever your five-year plan is, whatever it is in your mind, God's asking for you to put it on the altar and lay it before him because he wants to know, is your relationship with me more important than that? That's the process of being yielding because here's what I hear the Holy Ghost speaking very clearly. He said, there are people here that know how to yield. He said, but they only yield to a certain point. It's not fully yielding. You yield until he starts touching on your relationships. You yield until he starts touching on your friendships. You yield until he starts touching on your future. Come on, Holy Ghost. And there's people in here right now that last year's camp, some of you three years ago camp, a youth convention five years ago, you made a commitment to follow the Lord no matter what. But then God asked you for one thing that you deeply desired and you refused to give it. And you've been stagnant ever since. And you come to services and you know how to yield, but you, you haven't yielded to the dimension where you've given up Isaac. You bring Isaac and you lift up a hand. And if he asks you for it, you pull Isaac closer to you. I'm ministering to somebody right now. You cleave to it. You clench. And when you clench what he wants, you quench his spirit. I'm telling you, God's will is better than your will. And with his will, he's going to affect more people than your will ever could. If I'd have continued on my path of basketball, it'd have been a selfish path. Come on, come on, somebody. And you got to be honest with yourself. That Isaac that you're holding is really more of a selfish thing you're holding. You want something for you. And you won't get that breakthrough you've been aiming for until you're willing to yield it all. That's all God's asking for. He's not even saying he's going to take the Isaac. Are you hearing me? He just wants to know, is it even available to me? You see, some of you are afraid to release it to him because you're scared he's going to take it. I'm ministering right now. God said, I'm not even saying I'm going to take it. I just want to know if I wanted to take it, would you give it? God is wanting to reach us to reach a place where there's no conditions on our surrender to him. Amen. There's an Isaac that God's wanting somebody to lay on the altar right now. And I'm telling you, if you obey God, he's going to do more in you than you could ever imagine. You're going to affect more people than you can ever imagine. You're going to make more of an impact than you can ever imagine. More than what you could do 
in the flesh. God is going to do something in the spirit. There's going to be more. It's not about you. It's about others. I want everyone to lift up your hands right now. And I want you to tell God right now that you put it on the altar. And when you put it on the altar, the fire of God is about to fall. Come on, right now. Right now. Right now. Right now. Come on, that's it. Give it to him. Come on, that's it. Give it to him right now. There's going to be a fire that comes that consumes. There's going to be a fire that comes that purges. There's going to be a fire that comes. I lay it down if it's a relationship. I lay it down if it's a pursuit of money. I lay it down if it's a I lay it down if it's an opportunity. I lay it down at the feet of Jesus. And there's only going to be one God in my life. And it's going to be Jesus Christ. He is the potentate. He is the omnipotent. He is the preeminent God. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Like always, be sure to follow us on social media and make sure that you subscribe. This way you can stay up to date and always see what Next Gen is doing.